mistakes are part of being an entrepreneur because part of being an entrepreneur is taking risk. And if you're not taking risk, then I don't think you're living up to your full potential. Brand Start Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, insights, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage industry. Before we dive deep into today's interview, I just want to share with you that our mission at The Vineyard as the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage industry is to help founders like you in creating a brand behind your product that people can truly love and in building a business that can thrive and grow. This is why I am happy to share with you that we just launched our free cheat sheet for building a successful healthy food and beverage brand just for you. It's a quick guide that will lead you through key principles and actionable tips relating to product market fit, product positioning, direct-to-consumer and retail, design, and brand marketing. This is a limited-time offer, so be sure to download your copy now. Type this onto your browser, thevineyardbc.com. That's thevineyardbc.com. Now let's jump onto the show. Hey everybody, it's Leonard here and welcome to the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast. For today's episode, I'm talking to David Delcourt, Chief of Flavor and Co-Founder of Seed Ranch Flavor Co., a brand that creates plant-based flavor-forward sauces, seasonings, and mac and cheese. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Before we get going, can you please tell us a brief background about who you are and what you do? I am the chief of flavor and co-founder of Seed Ranch Flavor Co. What that really means is everything we do starts in my kitchen. So uh, it's not uh, grown in a lab. It's not cultivated. You know, it's something that I feed to my family and my friends before it ever goes to a manufacturer, before it ever hits a shelf. Um, as part of that, we launched in June of 2022 uh, Grown As Foods, which is a wholly owned brand of Seed Ranch Flavor uh, Co., which does those dairy-free, high-protein mac and cheese uh, skews that you you just talked about. Okay. For my first official question, I'd like to go deeper on how you got started. So I'd like to ask, how did your brand start? What led you to starting Seed Ranch Flavor? Back in 2016... I was winding down my last startup. I've been an entrepreneur for pretty much my whole professional career uh, and some before that. <laughs> the And I've always been a big fan of spicy food. Uh, I love, love hot sauces and I couldn't find the type of sauces I wanted, things that you know had unique ingredients and really brought the culinary back into the world of CPG brought the culinary back into that hot sauce set, condiments. So as a passion project, myself and my original co-founder started making hot sauces. It was nights and weekends and 
who knows what, and we we launched them, uh, you know, for basically as presents for friends and family around mm-hmm. the holidays, twenty sixteen. People loved them. We did a lot of taste testing. We 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 ended up with three initial flavors, and from there the interest was high enough. People wanted to just buy them, literally out of the back of my car, right at this point. And so I found a co-packer. We did a test batch of five gallons of each sauce, and it sold out in you know six days. And figured wow. okay, there's something here. Seventeen started at the farmers market, local grocery. Eighteen into King Supers and some other regional chains, followed by Whole Foods and Safeway. And uh, that was that was kind of the the history right there of what started as a humble side project became my my full-time endeavor pretty quickly. Always impressive to hear those types of starting story. But when you started, this was really more of a passion project for you. Did you have like a business plan for it? Did you have any projections for it? Uh, what was it like for you at the beginning? Or was it really just, hey, this is a passion project. Let's see where it goes. Yes. The okay. So as, as a, an entrepreneur and a founder, I think the... The reality is we, we have lots of ideas at any given time. So it's really about taking good and getting to great or figuring out. So in that sense, I knew a couple of things. I knew that if this scaled, it would not just be a hot sauce company. So Seed Ranch Flavor mm-hmm. Co. was very much established with the idea that this is a flavor company. This is bringing that culinary experience back into the market the second piece was we had a couple of guiding values, missions, principles, one being the plant-based side, but the other side of it being that chief of flavor idea that this is going to be something that starts every time we start a new product in the kitchen, in in our own homes, the way we would feed our friends and family. Mm-hmm. So we we had we had ideas. We we definitely my my co-founder and I were, you know, both in the uh, me and the consumer electronics business before him and the um uh the more skin skincare side of cpg so okay. we had some industry experience of so, all right this mm-hmm. is the margin expectations distribution here's how we sell on amazon and all those things were started very small in the beginning it was uh you know the idea was let's prove it at the local level, let's prove it at the regional level. Let's become a big fish in a small pond and really go mm-hmm. after it. While understanding, maybe this stays a side project. Maybe this is something I do nights and weekends. And you know that that proved to be, uh, you know, we we kind of blew that out of the water and just con- continued growing. And then with the Gronaz line, uh, mm-hmm. that was the manifestation of really a desire to be a lot more on the one-to-one replacement side for plant-based products, giving people, whether you have a dairy allergy or you're vegan or you're just looking to eat healthier, we wanted to give people a way to access that in a simple, delicious, ready-to-go, foolproof mm-hmm. package. Yeah. You, you started in 2016, so you're, you're already past the five-year mark. Uh, meaning you're out of the statistic that says more than half of startups ex- cease to exist after a few years, right? Uh, and it seemed like you you had some industry experience, so I, you, you understood like co-packers, distribution, how do you scale trial, uh, testing locally and all of those sorts. But I, I want to sort of recalibrate that or, or make that in a in a concise summary. Like what do you think are some of the key things 
that you've done right that have allowed you to continue to thrive from the time you started as a passion project and now as you're trying to scale and scale? January 1st, 2017 is really when I say the, the business started, I would say, right? That was when we, we were started recording our first revenue. And my, my thesis really for entrepreneurs and for starting a business is you need to have three things. You, know, you need to have passion because I think that is what really gets us not only to the great ideas, but through the hard times. Uh, you have to have curiosity because that continues to evolve. It's that sense of you know continuous improvement, right? And then the third is you have to have a problem to solve. And so that's that's often where a lot of entrepreneurs I see go sideways or diagonal in the sense that it's a problem you're solving for yourself or for a small subset of people, but understanding who those customers are and all those pieces. So, um, that's really the the basis that I look at for starting any any company. Um, and the reality is, we, as entrepreneurs, you got to be a little crazy. Your stat is spot on, which means if you're starting a business, most of you know most of the business started don't last five years. Therefore, mm -hmm. they're not successful. You know, it's 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 not hard to see all of the you know, 10-year, 7-year, 8-year overnight success stories where you, you don't really see the first 4 or 5 years where everyone was struggling, struggling hard and and fighting mm. the good fight. Um, but those those were my guiding principles and I think we, we stayed true to them and we stayed especially true to the idea of starting small. Um, you know, we, as especially as a CPG company where it's really difficult to find IP or technology or defensibility around a product is really about brand, customer loyalty, and fantastic flavor, right? Especially, you know, CPG I know is bigger than food, but you know, if you're not making a supplement, it is about you take a bite and you immediately want more. You immediately want to get behind this product and buy it again. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, the one that you mentioned about, you know, overnight successes reminded me of the recent quote from Coach Spo of Miami Heat. There's a lot of failures, but what you don't see is how you continue to forge forward and then you suffer and suffer and suffer until you actually get to a place where, where you want to be, right? But there's no such thing as an overnight success. There's a lot of hard work in between. Uh, I'm also curious to ask because what I've been seeing so far when I shifted our brand development firm in, in this industry is that product positioning and differentiation are two of the things that I think can be improved by a lot of other healthy food and beverage brands. Uh, I know for a fact that it's a powerful strategy, if done right, can can give brands a lot of leverage and competitive edge. So I'm curious to ask, David, how are you differentiating Seed Ranch or your particular product, grown as foods, vegan mac and cheese, as against the current competitors that you have in your category? I'll start by saying that the Nuggets heat game is about to start <laughs> of course when, when we scheduled this i didn't realize it and i i love this i'm sure you like me i'm, I'm in boulder colorado so um, okay you know that's 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 very exciting so the the fact that you mentioned you know the heat definitely uh, rings true to the second uh, or to the question i will say differentiation is it's, it's absolutely key. It's also difficult sometimes to really get that across to a customer 
especially when it comes to food, because you can say, hey, we are gluten-free and we are plant-based and you can tick all the boxes of high protein and and then someone takes a bite and they don't like it and they won't come back. So the, really the question is, how do you drive trial so you can drive the differentiation and the loyalty? Because the, the biggest differentiation of all to me is saying, look at all of our customers that really love our product. They're you know, the impossibles, the beyonds, the justs of the world, the people who are doing you know, sell meat technology. That's a, a bit of a different uh, beast in CPG, if you will. Those are mm -hmm. long lead, lots of capital. Right? It's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a different uh, way, of, way, way of approaching it. But I think there are a lot of brands that don't spend much time or it seems like don't spend much time on the branding side. Mm -hmm. That means to me, you have anywhere from two to three seconds, maybe five seconds to draw someone's attention on the shelf. So how, you know, from a, a price standpoint, and mo most smaller companies going into anything that has any type of competitor, right? You're not going to start with the lowest price on the shelf because you don't have scale, which is where we really drive those margins and those price. So what is attracting people's attention? So maybe it is some of those call outs. Maybe it's, you know, the different colors, different branding on the shelf. It's uh, some something that stands out just as eye catching. Um, all, all those pieces, I think, are part of the, comp you know, the competitive landscape and how mm -hmm. to get ahead of it. For us, from, you know, in particular, there's a few things we, we drive to before someone has tasted it. So if someone tastes it, then I would say, well, doesn't this taste great? Even though it happens to be a plant-based uh, product. Oh, and then it's very clean label. You can recognize everything. Again, I started it in my kitchen. It's high protein. So we got 10 grams of protein per serving, 25 grams of protein in a box, which means between clean label and high protein, it's the kind of mac and cheese that I can feed to my kids and not have to add peas and carrots and things that they don't want to eat anyways, and still feel good about feeding it to them two, three days a week, four days a week. Right. So those, those are the, the nuances that I think mm -hmm. from the, the retail experience. And I, I, what I'm talking about is really in retail. I know yeah. there are some brands who are differentiating by having an amazing TikTok platform or having, you know, a really dynamic Instagram, Facebook, you know, following or, um, so th there, there are plenty of other ways, but for us in particular, we are looking at that shelf. We're looking at that shelf because we want to become the brand of choice for anybody who's trying to eat healthier or trying to eat on the plant-based side. And we talk about plant-based is great, but we've got 50 million Americans who are lactose intolerant. We have, you know, over 50% of the, the country who's plant curious, meaning they're interested in more plants on the plate, but don't necessarily know where to start or have the perception that plant-based means it's not going to taste great. So we're trying to really become the lead brand in that space to, to say, hey, this is going to taste great, no matter what you have from grown-ass foods, no matter what you have from seed ranch flavor, right? It's going to taste great. All you have to do is choose chocolate or vanilla. All you have to do is choose your flavor. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And I think there's a lot of insights that other founders can can get from that answer, David. Uh, product differentiation is key, but there's so much complexities that, that go with it. 
but you can never win with with the losing product quality. So I think that's one core point that I got there. But you have to drive trial first. And what I would say in some of my thought leadership articles is that's that's the point. You have to get attention of people first um, so they can try it and hopefully they like it enough to go remember it and then you like establish that connection so and so. But more a little bit more on the branding side because you mentioned on this. When I taken a look at your website, I actually recognize that while you have all those product features, you're also trying to appeal to nostalgia. Uh, which, mm. which for me is a better way of communicating your brand, you know, instead of just focusing on product ingredients because you have that already. I'm curious, was, is this intentional? And if yes, what's the rationality behind this approach for you? Nostalgia to me and cathartic is about is with our products in particular, especially mac and cheese, right? I, did, I didn't grow up eating hot sauce until I was in high school, right? I remember Tabasco mixed with ranch dressing was my introduction and buffalo wings. Right. So that was that was that version. But on the, the grown as side, we wanted something that recalled one of our favorite foods. Right. So 50 percent of kids and 33 percent of adults eat mac and cheese every week in this country. So there's a tremendous amount of mainline consumption across the category. Now, you obviously have the crafts and the Annie's and the, the leaders in the space. Um, so we wanted something that recalled that nostalgia of this is going to taste great, but gave you a better, healthier, and gives you um, you know, a better experience as a result, right? So the pasta we use is still wheat pasta, but it's a single ingredient non-GMO pasta. So there's no enhanced, you know, wheat protein kind of stuff, right? It's it's all about that. The other piece to that nostalgia for me is I we did a lot of research literally on the shelf of what other brands looked like and what their messaging was. If you think craft, craft is the long established, you know, since the 30s, right, leader in mac and cheese. And then Annie's came along in the 80s, 90s with a better for you. Today you look at their ingredient panel, they're virtually similar. They're they're virtually the same. We wanted to be the we're we were going to be the next we are going to be the next step in that better for you, still delicious, still incredible uh, type of experience. And then the branding with that nostalgia was about where else in the store do we have brighter colors, louder boxes, and where has it been established? And so the, um, recently I heard, and I, I this was not my concept, but I have really pulled on it from a, another interview I did, but we're kind of like a cereal box. We are something that pops on the shelf and it, we have our mascot in, you know, Mac-Man right here um, yeah, he's on, I saw it. He's on the chest of my tracksuit. Um, it's something that is fun for kids. It really attracts their eyes. Adults can get in on our grown-as-foods kind of humor and, and joke because, we're, look, we're grown-ups. We should, we should be eating better. We know we should be eating better, right? Um, and so we want we wanted to recall some of that nostalgia without without being a classic brand, but harking back to how we would eat as kids, as teenagers, as young adults. Hundred um, percent. I'd like to shift a little bit now in our conversation and talk about growth. If you're comfortable in sharing some of your numbers, mm-hmm. but what have been your your revenue trajectory look like from the time you started up to now? So just in terms of your know, percentages, we doubled every year from 2017 to 
2021. Um, and then a little bit of flattening, but just just the result of smaller numbers doubling versus larger numbers doubling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the interesting pieces for us was that during COVID, we saw a tremendous amount of growth. A lot of people at home, eating at home, and, and mm-hmm. we hadn't launched, we, we didn't launch our mac and cheese during COVID. Um, it was formulated with my boys in my kitchen during COVID because I wanted to eat plant-based mac and cheese with them and nothing on the shelf would they wouldn't eat it and I didn't want to eat it. And so there, there was really that that white space of, hey, give me something that's actually tasty in this space. Um, but so we, we could continue to see that 20, 21 to 22 continued growing. You know, we've continued um, into 23 with new retail partnerships. You know, we're in, launching with Sprouts Nationwide, King Supers, Hy-Vee. Um, so some, some really ex- exciting um, growth we've seen. And as we know, with, with growth comes challenges. Mm-hmm. Right, which comes challenges in terms of inventory, in terms of you know really the the personnel, my employees who are you know needed to keep this going. So, our you know we anticipate this year we'll still we'll have strong growth. I don't know if it'll be hundred percent year over year growth, but mm-hmm. definitely that that continued trajectory uh, towards what I think of as kind of launch velocity for. CPG, where the brand becomes ubiquitous enough throughout retail, throughout Amazon, throughout channels. We're launching a food service line that we're really excited about and some export opportunities. So we'll just continue keeping on, keeping on. We haven't raised tremendous amounts of money or anything mm-hmm. to that light. It's really been about focusing on our core customer, understanding our core customer, where they shop, who they are. And those have have reaped dividends for us to stay small early on when we knew, hey, look, no one's going to fund us uh, a, a small hot sauce startup. But what we can do is use cash flow from farmers markets and events and mm-hmm. all of those in person opportunities to fund our growth and launch on shelf. And so there's there's been a couple of different tools that we've continued to to leverage as as we keep growing. Wow, congratulations, man. You're killing it. And and I hope you continue to to see that trajectory. Very quickly, did you ever raise funds or have you been bootstrapped uh, from the starting point up to now? So we were, we were bootstrapped through 2022. We did raise wow. a seed round in 2022 yeah. and we'll likely raise another round. Um, you know, and that's the other side of growth. Yeah. So especially especially retail growth is it's expensive to work with retail, especially nationwide retail. However, that bar to entry is also the opportunity to build brand equity. So it's a it's a balancing act to me of staying small for long enough where you have the legs to go into retail while also recognizing when is the opportunity to throw gasoline on the fire and really run at it. You know, I, I think about retail launch as you're digging yourself a really firm foundation to then build a house. So you have to invest, you have to dig down deep. Those are the free fills and the promos and mm-hmm. you have to pick and choose, right? If uh, for, for us, I look at it, we're not gonna build a 10,000, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 square foot foundation for this massive mansion without the funds to finish building the house. So where is it that we decide to invest? So that we can then can 
to continue the analogy, you know, we'll do additions, we'll build the pool out back, we'll we'll continue yeah. all those pieces. That, that's that's a very important takeaway. Be sure that you know how to stay small long enough so that you can have that foundation before you even go into retail. Because retail is not just, you know, it's very cash intensive, right? And which which also lead me to to becoming curious to ask, like, do you have any margin guidance on on your company? Like if you go into these channels, like what margins are you looking at to, to make sure that it's still a healthy uh, channel for you or venture? Hi, thank you for listening to Brand Start. We are pausing for a quick break. Are you planning to launch a new healthy F&B product in the market? Unsure of how to position and brand it? Or maybe you want to relaunch an existing healthy F&B brand to help increase sales and customer loyalty? Well then, you've come to the right place. At The Vineyard, we help healthy F&B companies in building brands that stand out on the shelves, increase product sales, and drive repeat purchase. If you're interested in working with us, head on to www.thevineyardbc.com to jumpstart your brand development journey. The higher the better. <laughs> yeah, I agree <laughs> to that. <laughs> uh, you know, my a big pitfall for a lot of folks is going from I'm selling, say, direct to... 20, 30 customers, or I'm selling at the farmer's market, or I'm selling online, you know, direct to consumer. Those are great. Your margins, hey, look, I'm at, at 50, 60% margin. This is fantastic. But just remember, a distributor is going to come in and ask, at the end of the day, assume 20 to 25% for your distributor. Assume that if there's going to be a broker involved, it's another 5% on top of it. And then you're going to have your free fills and your slotting fees and all those pieces. So coming out the gate, 50% plus, ideally 60 is really one where you want to land. And if you take a top-down approach from what is the price of your competitors on the shelf versus where you can land with that 50 to 60% margin, including all of those different pieces, if it's wildly off, I think it's a bit of a fool's errand. If you're the 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 old, <laughs> I, I don't want to say old, but I will hear a lot of the time, well, with scale, we'll hit. That's great. But it, with scale is a very dangerous proposition because to scale, you're going to uh -huh. need a lot of cash. You're going to need a lot of resources in that 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 process. So out of, out of the gate, I think it's fantastic to have really high margins in those initial channels. So in your initial direct to consumer and in your initial direct to retail, your local grocer, your independent grocers, you, even your regional grocers, knowing that that margin is going to get cut by anywhere from a quarter to a third, even a half when you mm -hmm. start to go into larger retailers and to succeed on shelf. Um, the other the other piece to that margin conversation would be understanding who's the the target. So the price on shelf at a Safeway versus a Whole Foods versus an Erewhon are going to be quite different. And the basically price flexibility and price elasticity of your customers is going to be very different. So understand where can you win at a higher price, where other accounts maybe you're going to have to be in at a lower price. And, and what are the what's the channel diversification that allows you to get back to that 50% plus blended gross margin. All right. And that, that's the key thing. So if you're doing 80% of your volume in retail, 
but your retail margin at the end of the day is 30%. And then the rest of the 20% is in direct to consumer where you have a 70% margin. That sounds great, but really you end up right at a 37% margin, which in the long run, it's really hard to sustain a business like that. Yeah. Totally agree. Thanks for sharing that, David. A couple more questions before we wrap things up here. You seem to have a very, very long entrepreneurial career already. So uh, I wanted to ask this, are, are there any mistakes in, in your journey so far that you'd never want to make again? <laughs> there are lots of mistakes. <clears throat> and mistakes are part of being an entrepreneur because part of being an entrepreneur is taking risk. And if you're not taking risk, then I don't think you're living up to your full potential. That's the the short of it. I think it's totally fine to say, hey, I have an idea, but this is not my risk profile. This is not who I am. I'm going to go and work a nine to five, nine to six, nine to nine job. And that's going to be my, you know, my, my own personal journey. So top three, maybe to condense it down. Um, I, I'd say first one is always assuming everything's going to go great. I think it's great to have a B and a C option. Have them in your back pocket. You don't have to share them with your team. You don't have to broadcast them to the world. But know that it's rare that everything goes to plan. The second piece is, again, back to mistakes and problems and issues. They arise. It's not if, it's when they're going to. And so understanding that you need to be ready to go sideways. You need to be ready to pivot. You need to be ready for imperfection because a lot of the time speed and agility and really focus and consistency is better than waiting on perfection. Mm -hmm. So have, have that little bit of extra cash, a little bit of extra runway, that little bit of extra margin, that other channel, you know, and consistently be out there. And then I think the last piece is starting early to diversify all those risks across multiple channels and multiple avenues. And what I mean by that is even if the product that you're launching is not perfect for direct consumer, investigate those, have those ready, start to push those. Even if, hey, I really love my kids and I want to be with them on the weekends, well, Maybe you should take one day of the weekend and go to the farmer's market and sell your product. Mm. Maybe maybe you should, over the holiday season, go to some of those gift markets and get the product out there. Because you know, word of mouth, margin structure, there's, there's a lot to be, to be gained there. Um, and so diversifying early and thinking, even if it's not a specific product for food service, for Amazon, for direct consumer, uh, for you know, export, understand those start investigating them do some quick google searches you know with now uh, you know we <laughs> on the ai side of things right mm-hmm. this my vision for our company with ai is about m- enabling a small team to do more and more and more so whereas maybe i am not the best content creator well ai is going to help me ai is going to help me actually use some of those tools. Maybe it's for blog posts, maybe it's for emails, maybe. So efficiencies, find them, use that to diversify risk in addition to the channels. Yeah, thank you so much, David. That's that's really gold. And I'd like to do a quick recap of some of the key insights that I got so far from this conversation. And then we'd go to the last segment of the show. 
Well, first off, it's always great to see a project coming out as, as a passion project. But at the same time, you really started because there's there's a gap that you wanted to fill. You know, you were looking for the type of sauces with unique ingredients. And as you said, bringing back that culinary quality in those items. And so you started it. So there's there's a, a vision of potential scale. But at the same time, you know that you'll have to go through initial validation um, phases. I also want to emphasize the fact when you said when you started when you're starting something you'd want to start small and then quickly validate it locally and regionally uh, try to get that initial customer validation before you even think about going bigger and bigger and with in your case you had a business thesis but more than that you had three things your passion uh, and then the curiosity that you have because it, it's going to evolve so you need to have that that drive for learning and always have a problem to solve but it's it should be a problem within your market or the market that you're targeting. And you also emphasize it's really all about brand, customer loyalty, and fantastic flavor. But you have to be able to drive trial. Uh, differentiation is key and it's difficult. So focus also on having a good product quality, but making sure that you have strategies to, to drive trial on, on that um, note. Um, now, in, in your um, brand messaging, I really appreciated how you alluded to the approach of researching what, what's out there with your competitors and see what they have and then figure out where you can come in and stand out. And if there's a chance for you to find that emotional connection, in your case, nostalgia is one of those things, and then that could better help you uh, understand how your brand can, can stand um, against the competition. Now, on, on the guidance of margins, um, 50 to 60% buffer uh, the higher, the better, obviously. But the core principle that you shared is understand your cost of goods, obviously, plus your operating expenses. Uh, and you'd also need to strategize in terms of where is the channel that you can have the best leverage. Uh, and in addition to that, understand where your customers, what what's the customer profile there and understand the price elasticity that comes with it. And then finally, some, some few more notes that you said is it's okay to, you need to take risks, but it's okay that, you, you sort of level your risk based on your profile. Like, what's your risk appetite? So whatever works for you, that's where you should really be going in, uh, going at. And some mistakes, which I really love, which I think encompass a lot of the entrepreneurial journey that I've also interviewed so far is one mistake is always assuming everything is going to go great. Like I interviewed Arshad who came over yeah. to the show uh, and he remembered the saying of Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So second, problems will occur. So you might as well have that mindset that you'll, you're anticipating imperfection and then be flexible enough to, to pivot. I also said something about that. You know, pivoting is not a sign of failure. It's even probably a sign of being smart, right? Because if, if one path is not working for you, then find another path for you. And then lastly, starting early to diversify your risks. So I, I love how you mentioned that concept of blended gross margin because obviously one, one channel is against another channel won't be equally spread out. So be sure to understand those numbers. Is that a fair recollection of some of the insights that you shared and anything you want to add to that, David? Yeah, I wish I could summarize stuff like you do. That's great. No, I, I it's that's fantastic. And the, the only thing I would add, uh, just thinking about it now, is... I read this quote, somebody posted it, I think on LinkedIn probably was, but it was be more MacGyver, less Batman. And the idea there for younger people who I was barely, <laughs> I was barely in the MacGyver, I was barely in the MacGyver age group, but is 
do more with less, live off the land, be super resourceful to whatever extent you can, because there's always going to be a fancy tool that probably costs a lot of money that does exactly what you need. So get to the point where you know that tool is going to immediately result in an ROI for your business rather than, oh, I think I need social media content development. and I'm going to go pay somebody three to five grand a month to do it. That's what's the ROI there immediately. Right? There's a certain there's a certain point at which that makes a tremendous amount of sense. It really is. And so the MacGyver versus Batman really struck me where there have been and back to the mistakes. There have been times where like, oh, if we just hire this uh, ad agency, they're going to solve all our problems. Well, guess what? A lot of them it ends up being three months of really expensive uh, lesson learned. We'll put it that way. Thanks for that, David. And for, for the final one, I'd like to end this on a little bit on a personal note. Like, What's keeping you going as a founder? I really love our product. I love the end goal. And I truly believe that my purpose, my personal purpose is really around affecting you know, positive change in the world through feeding people plant-based foods and teaching people on how to eat healthier and live their best life. Um, you know, and that's through my local community and global community, business, uh, you know, and my superpower as a person, as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur is really around creativity and around that side of things. I'm not an amazing systems engineer who will do that. And so identifying that superpower and what we do really well, I think is is pretty fantastic. And, you know, the, the other piece is, I think we have a pretty broken food system. And I want to be part of the links in the chain. We need them all. We need the forward thinkers that are thinking 10 years down the road. We need the people who are acting today, which is really where we fit in. But we, we have to get to a place where we can eat better. We can eat a sustainable diet, both for planet as well as for people, as well as for our communities. Uh, and so when, you know, when I think about what I'm grateful for, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not in Ukraine right now. I'm not in uh, you know, a place that has, is kind of torn apart. I, I have uh, a healthy family and that gratitude practice really helps to bolster, especially mm -hmm. the hard times, because there are a lot of hard times as an entrepreneur and as a human. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to be to be living that, but the trying to keep that positive emotion so that when you know life serves you lemons, you make lemonade, as as they say. I know it's cliche, but I think it's a really powerful sentiment. Yeah, and that's that's such a powerful perspective to be reminded of, and it puts things into into the right uh, frame of mind. So thank you, David. This has been really great. But I'd like us now to go to the last segment of the show, which I call the finish line. It's essentially the lightning round, where I have five questions for you that I want you to answer as concise as possible. Are you are you ready? Yeah, yeah, but before we get there, I have Go one ahead. question for you. Okay, okay, uh, this is give, this is give, new. <laughs> give me, give me, give me your thirty seconds on Leonard. What you do and what motivates you every morning? Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity, David. This is new. Well, I'm a brand development specialist, so I own a creative firm, but we have 
now been specializing on healthy food and beverage brands. What we do basically is help founders and the healthy F&B companies figure out their or enhance their brand strategy, product positioning, and design. So those are the components of what we do in terms of how we help them really scale up also. Like what's the preparations that you need, like brand strategy before going into retail. So my my main motivation would really be my family. Uh, and mm-hmm. as, as an entrepreneur myself, I've always been, well, in the past, I've worked for 10 years uh, in, in one corporation, and that made me realize that I needed to create my own destiny. And, and that's mm-hmm. where I'm at now. Um, and five, hopefully this, this industry that we're in, as you said, there's a lot of impact that you founders really want to create. And we want to have a piece of that in terms of how we can support uh, that advocacy of, uh, well, what I'd say as a mission is really... Hopefully, we can come in and add some value to help create brands, healthy food and beverage brands that become the norm, not just the alternative. This is right. not just the better for you alternative. This is the better yeah. for you that you need. So, yeah, ho- hopefully that answers it. That was a tough one. Yeah. You, should, you should also have your own podcast, David. <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very grown-as answer, I will say. Uh, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. No, thanks so much. That that was fun. So I I have five questions. Uh, very quickly. The first one is, what's a characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed? Character trait. Oh man, there there are a lot, but I, I think resiliency is the one that really resonates with me every time. It's see the big picture goal, where you want to go, and understand that the path will not be a straight line. It okay. will never be a straight line, right? It's gonna yeah. jump around. Yes. Second, book or podcast that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read or listen to? I just I just finished listening to uh, Green Lights, which is a book uh, Matthew McConaughey wrote. And I went in a little skeptical because I'm thinking, all right, all right, all right. And Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and I came out on the other side with some really profound insight. So I, I, I would say that that one is a, a big one on top of my list right now. Okay, and then next one is I want you to complete the sentence. Success is back to my mission. I really think uh, my personal kind of vision, my personal mission here. Uh, success is influencing you know a hundred million people in a positive way, where they can eat well, feed their families well, and be able to not have to make a hard decision between something that is delicious and something that's good for you and something that's good for planet. Yeah, that's amazing. Next one is, if you're not an entrepreneur now, what do you think would you be instead? Ah, what would I want to be? Man, uh, I always joke that when times are tough, I get these flyers in literally in my mailbox from the U.S. Postal Service that's saying we're hiring. And then I see the Postal Service guys walking around with their shorts on and their blue shirts and they're, you know, out. Granted, snow, rain, good, bad weather. But I it's it's only half joking that I think maybe I'd be a postman. <laughs> That's interesting. Finally, David, why do you think someone should start his or her own healthy F&B brand? Passion, curiosity, problem to solve. And I say in that order because it's really important to me that you understand 
well, you, we all understand just how difficult it is. And whether it be in brand development like you, whether it be in CPG like me, you really want to have something that you wake up in the morning excited about, you go to bed at night excited about the next day, even when those days are really heavy and you lose a big deal or something goes wrong. Um, and you know, my my personal entrepreneurial path, if you will, over the last almost 20 years has been around better for people, better for planet. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to keep that going. And that, that's that been what what keeps me up at night in a good way. And it's what wakes me up in the morning in, in a good way. Yeah, that, that, that's really wonderful. Thank you so much, David. Uh, this has been really great and I appreciate your, your time and for being so kind and open and even so generous in, in sharing your story and insights. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where's the best place for people to learn about you and Seed Ranch Co. or Grown-Ass Foods? Absolutely. www.seedranchflavor.com and www.grownasfoods.com. Grown as foods. Uh, you can find us at Sprouts Nationwide, on Amazon, uh, obviously through our websites. And then if anybody wants to connect with me, uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. And just like you and I, Leonard, uh, I think you know that's how we started our conversation. Yeah. It's a really nice place to to get to know people and kind of build that that online community. Yeah, we will make sure to link those up in our show notes. And once again, David, thanks for being here and may God bless you. Thank you for listening to Brand Start Goes Healthy. If you find this podcast helpful, help us help others by sharing this with someone from the healthy food and beverage sector. If you need more free resources to help you navigate the intricacies of building a healthy F&B brand, visit our website at www.thevineyardbc.com.